The Old Testament text is the 88th Psalm. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, my companions have become darkness. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There are some passages of Scripture that are more difficult to say the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, in response to, and this is one of those passages. Did you notice that this psalm departs from a kind of standard pattern that we see in the psalms, even the psalms of lament? In those psalms, there's a a lot of attention given to despair and to hopelessness and to the situation that a person can find himself in when he doesn't think there's any escape. But then the light breaks in toward the end of the psalm. There's at least some hope of deliverance. There's some sense that this won't go on forever. But that's not the case with this psalm. This psalm ends on a down note. Now, maybe you've been at a point in life where it's really felt like that for you. Like, there's no hope, that you're you're hopeless. And then somebody's come along and said, hey, cheer up. Right? Cheer up, put on a happy face. Grace guys are going to clear up. Put on a happy face. And instead of encouraging you to sort of lighten up, you just kind of get angry. Because why? There's a sense in which this frivolous encouragement makes light of what you're going through. That's what levity is, right? I mean, making light of something. And there are some times when things are heavy. And uh, the appropriate thing is not to say, hey, lighten up. Look at the bright side anything like that, the appropriate thing to do is to mourn with those who mourn. There really are things in life that we should mourn over, 
that are bad. They're bad things that happen. And we can't make light of them. We can't treat them uh, as though they're not serious. Now, in our world today, uh, everything is sort of reduced to sort of like a medical problem. Have you noticed this? Like everything is supposed to be solved with a pill. Take a pill, right? You've obviously got some kind of biochemical imbalance, and so you need to kind of get it together. Uh, And so that's kind of the materialist approach sometimes to this problem. But, you know, you can't reduce everything to biochemistry. There really are bad things that happen. There are things that happen in our lives that can't be solved with a pill because it's not just about the inner life and sort of your experience of reality. It's reality that's the problem. Somebody's died. Somebody's lost a job. Somebody is sick. Somebody you care about has abandoned you. I mean, bad things happen. There's a reality out there, and it's not just, a, you know, like I said, biochemistry. Now, did you notice that the sons of Korah sing this? So that's another thing to note. If you were here last week, I told you about the sons of Korah. We're told about them in Numbers, the book of Numbers, the 16th chapter. And, uh, well, they really did go down to the pit. In that story, he had some Levites. So Korah was a Levite, and Moses is a Levite. Aaron was a Levite. I mean, this, the tribe of Levi had some important responsibilities in the, in the service of the tabernacle. Obviously, Aaron and his sons were priests. And so these responsibilities entailed some important jobs related to the tabernacle, but it wasn't as though everybody was created equal. I mean, there were priests, and then there were some other folks. And the Korites, the followers of Korah, were a little, little, well, they were offended. They were put out that they weren't priests, and so they, they demanded equal treatment. They said, hey, who do you guys think you are, exalting yourself over the rest of us the way you do? We're just as good as you. You know, we should be priests, too. And, you know, Moses' response was, hey, it wasn't my idea, guys. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord has set apart these people for this service. He's given you an important task, too. You know, receive your task gladly and perform it. Let them perform their responsibilities. We all have important places of service, but it wasn't good enough for those guys. So the way the story ends is the earth opens up and swallows Korah and his rebellion. Solves the problem. I've often wanted to be able to do do that at different points in my life. But it wasn't uh, given to me the gift of opening the earth. Uh, So anyway, that's what happens. Now, sons of Korah, since all of these guys go down to Abaddon, their tents, the tents of the wicked, which are referred to in the psalm that I preached from last week, are swallowed up in this way. Uh, why do we have these guys? Why are there any sons of Korah? Well, they didn't all die. There was a remnant that was saved. We learn about those fellows in Numbers chapter 26, verse 11. So there were survivors, and they got their jobs back, and they were glad for it. <laughs> and one of the things that they did in temple service was serve as doorkeepers, which meant bouncers, you can put it that way, you know, it wasn't as though they were just helping people find a seat in a difficult you know, room to find a seat in. They were keeping people out who shouldn't come in, making sure that people did things that they should do, that kind of stuff. So these were men of action, and they were singers. We don't often put those two together, men of action and musicians, but that's a couple of the tasks that they performed, and they were glad to do it. But um, there was not a happy ending 
unless you think of, you know, a remnant surviving this horrendous judgment that fell upon Korah and his followers as being a happy ending. Ever think about when something happens to you, who you can blame? It's normal. Whenever anything goes wrong, that's the first thought that comes to mind. I know it is for me. I looked at my wife and I say, why did you do this to me? Even though she had nothing to do with it. We're all like that. We all like look for somebody to blame, right? You know, and we do that with God. Why did you do this to me? You know, what did I do to deserve this? You actually have that in this psalm in different places where uh, the psalmist, the sons of Korah, are singing about you. Uh, you see it in verse 6. You have put me here in the depths of the pit. Down in verse 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. Verse 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. You, 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 you. Now, we're also told there's a reason why the Lord has done this, and it's because of God's wrath. We're told that um, it's not just because uh, God had nothing to do. Uh, We see that in verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And again, in verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. We can find ourselves subject to God's displeasure and God's wrath. And when you know, we are tempted to say, why me, in a kind of plaintive way, sort of protesting our innocence, um, perhaps a good way to follow that up is with the question, why not me? Why not me? Maybe I really deserve this. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case, but it's at least worth entertaining the possibility that some things that have come along in your life may be evidence that you have displeased God. We see that with our Christian ancestors. Calls to repentance when there's famine or plague or what have you. Saying, you know, kind of in an honest process of self-examination, have I done something to displease God that would bring his wrath down upon me and put me in this spot? Is it my responsibility? That's not a bad thing to do. Now, I know that you can take that too far, kind of a neurotic approach to life, that kind of thing, but I'm not talking about that. It's just really a good, you know, opportunity to examine yourself when things go wrong. What is going on in my life? Is there something that uh, I've done or I'm participating in that deserves this treatment? Now, some folks think this is, you know, strong medicine, and maybe it's too strong. Maybe we should never, ever let our minds go to that. Maybe there's some reason that I deserve this. You know, we, we live in a culture right now where, you know, either, you know, I think most people, uh, in terms of what they think of the options, is either nice God or no God. There's like no third possibility. It's nice God or no God. And if God's not nice, then there's no God. That's kind of the way folks assess things. Uh, and this has some history. You remember Rabbi Kushner, Harold Kushner? Uh, he wrote a book entitled Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. There was a reformed kind of tongue-in-cheek response, why do good things happen to bad people, <laughs> which is kind of where we all are. <laughs> Lots of good things happen to bad people all the time, but no one ever like, writes a book about that because that's not considered to be a real problem. Now, the way uh, Kushner addressed the problems, he said, you know, 
and by the way, this is not the correct way to address the problem, but he put it this way. He said, okay, either God is good uh, or God is not all-powerful because evil is real. So if God is good and all-powerful, he wouldn't let evil just kind of go on. So therefore, he must not be able to stop it. You see what I'm getting at? So his formula, the dichotomy that he worked with is that if God is good, evil things wouldn't happen, bad things wouldn't happen to anyone. Uh, and since they do, then God's not all-powerful. So we worship a God who really can't help. He didn't actually follow it through to the logical conclusion. <laughs> but that's, that's the way a lot of folks think. If God is good, bad things can't possibly happen. But there is a third possibility. And that third possibility is what we learn about in Job. You know, whenever I'm interacting with an atheist and they bring up the problem of evil as though, you know, Christians have never honestly dealt with the matter, I've th- I, I say to them, have you ever read Job? You know, that's in the Bible, don't you? Um, there are things that happen to us that we don't deserve and we don't understand and we never get an explanation for, at least not in this life. At the end of Job, you know, the book of Job, where Job loses everything, his family, his wealth, his health, everything. Finally, the Lord, in a theophany, appears to him, and Job has to, at the temerity to ask, why? And what does the Lord say? It's not for you to know. You wouldn't understand. I'm the Lord. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I don't need to explain anything to you. I'm the Lord, the Lord who dwells in thick darkness, according to Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 8, right? We look through a glass darkly. We can't make things out very clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But there will be a day when we see face to face, when it will be cleared up, and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. But for now, we just don't know what we'd like to know. And is that really the thing that we should be thinking about anyway? I'd like to also address another approach, uh, non-solutions to the problem of evil. When things happen that are bad, it's not as though Christians are the only people who have noticed this. <laughs> there are other people who have come up with other approaches to dealing with the problem. And that basically kind of be, you could say it's the spiritual sort of side of the medical approach. It's all in your head. You can just kind of clear it up if you just kind of well, don't like believe it's really real. The Stoics did that. Stoicism, for all of the things that we can say positive about it, was basically a denial of the reality of evil outside your head. It's all about perception. The reason why you don't like to have your head cut off is because you just aren't looking at it properly. That's the real problem. The reason why you're kind of sad that your son just died is you're just not looking at it properly. If you just changed your outlook, everything would be cleared up. It's sort of like what we see with Eastern religions with Maya. It's all illusory. It's not really real. Now, it's interesting how this only gets played in one way. Like when good things happen to you, that's real. Right? That's real. But when bad things happen to you, well, it's all in your head. You're just not looking at it properly. We live in the world of sort of shifting shadows, right? Heraclitus, it's all change. That's the only thing that's constant. Things come, things go, you should be happy with what you get. And if you're not, well, just remember, it's not real. Is that a real consolation? 
I mean, is that a really, uh, uh, you know, sort of a re something you want to you know, present as a real recourse when a person is going through a difficulty, when someone is like, <laughs> everything's falling apart. I feel like I'm in the pit. I think I'm dying. All the people that I used to depend on me, or I used to depend on, they've all turned on me. They hate me. They don't want to be around me. I'm abandoned. Oh, it's all in your head. Just forget about it. But there is a real solution. There is a real solution, and it doesn't have to do with what's going on necessarily or exclusively in your head. Here's how to think about it. Evil isn't really an academic question. Like, if I could give you, like, a really sound answer to the problem of evil, it wouldn't be like, hey, well, that's all cleared up. Now we can kind of go on, right? No, we have to live through this stuff. There's no, like, academic solution. We have to pass through it. So what we need is something that helps us get through it, not just simply understand it academically as though it was like a test on a math, you know, a question on a math test. So how, what can we turn to to help us get through evil, to, to live through it? The Apostles' Creed. Ever thought about the Apostles' Creed and how what you see in the Apostles' Creed is a bunch of stuff that happened? Let me, let me read it for you here and you'll see what I mean. It's not, it's not like we're saying we've got like academic answers to the problems that we face in life. What we are saying when we talk about you know, what God has done is that God has done stuff. So I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. God made the world that we live in. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. Now, there are a lot of folks who want to address that particular statement, he descended into hell, as a purely academic matter. I want to present it to you in a different way. There is nothing, nothing that can happen to you that Christ has not lived through. In other words, he went through it. And because he went through it, he can go through it with you. You see what I'm getting at? This is not just sort of like cheerleading from a distance, Christ in heaven, you can do it! I believe in you! No. Christ is with us because Christ went before us here we see in the psalm, the psalmist talking about Sheol in a kind of figurative way. What we're told here in the Apostles' Creed is that Christ literally died. When as far down you know, the path as is possible to go, he's experienced the full effects of sin. And then what? He did it for us. He was forsaken for us. Remember that line on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone has turned on me, even you. That's at least what it feels like at this moment. Where are you? Where is the consolation that I need at this moment? Even that was taken. So there's nothing that you can point to in your life and say, I've got one on you, God. No. 
It's all been passed through by your Lord. The real problem isn't the problem of evil. This is another thing I like to say to atheists. The real problem is the problem of goodness. How can goodness exist in a world so full of evil? How can you be good when you know you're going to die? That's a different problem. And that's a problem that only God can help you answer with living a good life. Faith in him, believing in him, helping you through it. I often think that the sort of the, when the frame of reference shifts in that way, some of the best conversions to the Christian faith are actually conversions by atheists. I've noticed this when it comes to politics. The best conservatives were the former commies. They always are, because they know the other side has nothing. And when it comes to the Christian faith, some of the greatest proponents of the Christian faith once denied its truth. But what brought them around? Was it just an answer to a question? Or was it something real, something good that they experienced at some point? You know, you might find yourself at this point in your life with the sense that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know what you're going through. I didn't have anybody in mind when I wrote this, this sermon. I just know that sometimes people find themselves in a situation where they're just hopeless and they don't know when it's going to end. Well, the thing I have to share with you is, is not there is light at the end of the tunnel, although I believe there is. What I want you to really believe is that there can be light with you in the tunnel. As you're passing through it, you can have fellowship with God because there's no place where you have found yourself or can go where Christ hasn't gone and can't come to you and bring you what you need right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this very strongly worded psalm that in some sense ends on a hopeless note in a strange way can be comforting to us when we find ourselves in a place where we can't see any light. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us when we find ourselves in those situations. to pr- Help us to pray in faith believing that you are the God who delivers. In Christ's name, amen.